Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 77 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com. And I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this podcast is for anyone. Whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are studying the religion of Islam, or if you're, you know, thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Also, you guys can follow me on Instagram at with Wa'il. Again, one word with Wa'il. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will continue uh, and we will conclude the battle of the the trench. And just to recap, uh, really quick, you know, uh, Quraysh, uh, they formed an alliance with many tribes. And, you know, the masterminds were the Jewish tribe, the second Jewish tribe, which was Banu Nadir, who were, you know, ex- expelled from Medina. Uh, and they basically, uh, they mastermind the whole thing. And Quraysh led the attack against the Muslims alongside with other, you know, many other tribes. Uh, on top of him is the tribe of Ghatafan. It's called the Ghatafan, and they didn't want to participate in the beginning, but then with, with with the right incentive, they actually did agree. And while this was taking place, they uh, decided to you know attack Medina, and the Muslims didn't know what to do. So uh, one of the companions suggested to dig a trench to basically block the attack. Imagine this. If a city is under attack and you find a huge trench, and the army can basically your army cannot attack in mass. You have to go down the trench and climb up the trench, and that causes an issue for you know a mass attack by Quraysh because the Muslims could take advantage of them being in the trench and they could attack them and easily you know uh, 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 cause harm to them while they are in the trench. So Quraysh decided to camp outside of the trench outside of Medina for a whole month to basically siege the Muslim, cut off supplies, and all these things. So they can force the Muslims to surrender or find a way to, you know, uh, uh, breach that trench and go inside Medina and attack the Muslims. And while this was happening, the ultimate treason took place from Banu Quraida, the last and the third Jewish tribe who uh, made a deal with Quraysh to attack the Muslims from within, which was, you know, the last straw, basically. Uh, that, you know, caused the Muslims to panic and freak out. And, you know, they had doubts on all these things. And Allah addresses this in the Quran. And they decided to, you know, kill the women and the children. Alhamdulillah, they failed to do so. But still, the threat was still going on from within. So the Muslims had to deal with an external enemy who's literally at the gates of Medina and an internal enemy who lives inside a fortress. So they couldn't even attack Banu Quraida at that moment. A man walks in, in the midst of all this chaos and all this fear, you know, happening to the Muslims. A man walks in by the name of Nu'aym. He was from the tribe of Ghatafan. And he tells the Prophet ﷺ, I became a Muslim. I just became a Muslim. Tell me what to do. It was a miracle, subhanAllah. It was a miracle by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was literally the only Muslim within that tribe. He was camped with his own tribe outside of Medina. And Islam entered his heart. Now we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes Islam to enter our heart based on our own heart. 
based on our intentions. If you had pure intent, if you wanted the truth, and we talked about this numerous times on the podcast here, if you want the truth, sincerely want the truth, Allah will reveal it to you. Allah will reveal the truth anyway to you, but Allah will help you and will push you even further if you truly want the truth. But if you don't, and if you don't care, and if you're lazy, and if you don't want to follow a new religion, a new tradition, then Allah, Allah knows that you don't even want to bother, right? Anyway, so that's what happened to Nuaim. Nuaim was sincere. He had a sincere heart. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped him. Also, Allah had another reason to help the Muslims as well. But again, it all fell into place. Now, what do we know about Nuaim? Like we said, he's from the tribe of Ghatafan. And he was friends with Abu Sufyan. This is critical. He was friends with Abu Sufyan. He was a close friend to Abu Sufyan. He used to do you know, stuff for him. And, and, and he used to have like a relationship. And he was also friends with Banu Qurayda, the the, the 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 last Jewish tribe within you know Medina. He had you know uh, uh, um, uh, uh, business transactions with them. He had a business relationship with them basically, and they knew him pretty well. They trusted him. Abu Sufyan knew him pretty well, and he trusted him. Now, some of you might know where this heading, right? This is a lost plan all along. So he goes to the Prophet ﷺ and he tells him, tell me what to do. So the Prophet ﷺ, they are in a dire situation and it shows the humanity of the Prophet ﷺ. So he doesn't have a plan on the spot. So he tells him, go back to your people and think of something to help us out with. That's that's what the Prophet ﷺ could say. All he could say, right? Then Nuaim asks, am I allowed to say anything, O Prophet of Allah? Meaning, am I allowed to lie? So the Prophet said a famous, very famous hadith, Al-Harbu Khud'ah, war is deception. Now let's pause here for one second. The Prophet telling us that war is deception, it's very allowed in Islam and it's very allowed in all cultures. You're allowed to, you know, deceive your enemy in an open war. We're talking about a declared open war. Declared open war. You're allowed to deceive your enemy. You're allowed to trick them. But a Muslim is never, ever allowed to betray even the enemy. So how would you betray an enemy? We talked about this. We had a whole episode about betrayal, right? A Muslim is not allowed to do any type of betrayal to anyone, period. Even to non-Muslims, even to an enemy. Now, if you and your enemy made a deal, made a, had a treaty to not attack each other, and you broke off that treaty and you did a sudden attack, you betrayed your enemy, this is a major sin in Islam. You're not allowed to. So that's the big difference between betrayal and deception. Deception is an open war. You could do whatever the tricks you want to do. Trickery. You could do that. You're allowed to do that. You know, it happens here in modern times with all types of armies and whatever. And it, it is 100% allowed in Islam. But promising something, have an official document between you and another party, and you betraying that treaty, you're betraying that covenant, is not, absolutely not allowed in Islam. Remember, we talked about, you know, uh, a few episodes ago, when the Prophet ﷺ decided to break off the treaty with Banu Qaynuqa, when they committed, you know, the massacre against the Muslim and they instigated uh, issues with the Muslims, he sent them a messenger. The treaty is now invalid. 
that is the proper way to break off treaties or to break off any covenant. Announce it first. Otherwise, it is betrayal. That's what they did. Right? They attacked the Muslims. They caused issues. And uh, that's what also Banu Nadir did. Right? They tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ just straight up. Assassinate the, the Prophet ﷺ and assassinate the leader of their country. That was betrayal, 100%. What Banu Qurayda did, you know, uh, um, making a deal with an external enemy to kill the Muslims and their families from the inside. This is also betrayal. But Muslims, look what look at the attitude of a Muslim. When the Prophet ﷺ decided to go to war with them, he sent a messenger to inform them that it's officially off. The deal is off. We have no treaty. We have no covenant in effect. That is the proper way. So there is a huge difference between deception and betrayal. A Muslim is allowed to do deception in the battlefield during war. But a Muslim is never allowed to betray anyone, period. Whether they are Muslims or non-Muslim, you're not allowed to betray anyone as a Muslim. All right? So that, that should be, because again, people, Islamophobes, a lot of people attack Islam, they use certain things. They say, oh, look, look at the hadith. He said, war is deception. Yeah, this is it is used by everybody. This phrase is literally used. This is practiced by every government, by every entity, by every kingdom, whatever you want to call it. It is practiced. War's deception is totally fine, but war is not betrayal. This is not allowed in Islam. Now, let's get back to the topic. I just wanted you know to go on a tangent to explain that and make it very clear. Now, Nuaim thought of something. What did he think of? He went straight to Banu Quraida within Medina. They knew him. They opened the gates for him. You know, they made sure that he's not, you know, no Muslims are around because they know what they did, right? So he walks in and he talks to the leader of Banu Quraida. And he tells him something very interesting. He said what? Listen, um, we've been partners, you know, business partners for a very long time. I'm here to tell you my fears. So they say, go ahead, tell us, what are you thinking? He said, if Quraysh decided to leave tomorrow, they have nothing to lose. They came, they were sieging Medina, they you know, surrounded the Muslims, they can't come in. If they leave, what are they going to lose? Absolutely nothing. But if they leave, what are you going to lose? Is everything. It, actually, it makes sense. Think about it. It makes absolute sense. He's actually not lying to them. He's actually not lying to them. If Quraysh actually decided to leave, Banu Quraida are done. They're done. They committed treason. Where are they going to go? They are in the fortress within Medina. They will have no help and Quraysh will not going to, they're not going to come back for them. They're not going to help him if decided if they decided to leave. So this is, Basically, he's emphasizing this now and he's, you know, putting this idea in, in their heads, which is a true idea. He's not even lying to them, right? So he says, if you, you know, if I were you, I would ask for, you know, 70 of their men, of their elite uh, leaders as collateral. So they don't just up and leave. They don't abandon you. They don't abandon this war because they won't abandon their own men, you know? So if they give you 70 of their elite, as collateral, you guys are going to have them, you will be 100% sure that they won't abandon you guys. So ask for that. Then they basically think about it and they say, well, that actually makes a lot of sense, right? 
Then he goes to Abu Sufyan. The next day, he goes to Abu Sufyan. And he tells Abu Sufyan, listen, we've been friends for a very long time. And I've heard whispers coming from Banu Qurada. You know that I have, you know, business dealings with them and all these things. So I heard some whispers that they are regretting their decision of betraying the Muslims. So they went to Muhammad. Again, as pagans, nobody, Abu Sufyan does not know that Nu'aim is a Muslim now. So as pagans, they would address the Prophet as Muhammad. And we know that as Muslims, we're not allowed to. I mentioned this a couple of times. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, لا تجعلوا دعاء النبي or دعاء الرسول Like you cannot call the Prophet like you call each other by you know your first name. You have to say, O Prophet of Allah. That's why all the Muslims used to call the Prophet O Prophet of Allah, except for two people. Non-Muslims, pagans, and, and people of Quraysh, whatever, and the hypocrites. Even though they said they were Muslims, they always used to call the Prophet Muhammad. And it shows that from the inside, they were not truly believers because they did not follow that verse and that command by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, let's get back to the story. So Nu'aym is also putting doubt into you know, uh, the heart of Abu Sufyan. He's telling him, listen, I've heard whispers that they're regretting what they did. And they went to Muhammad and they said, you know what? If you forgive us, we'll give you 70 of Quraysh's elite men as, you know, as a gift. To do as you please, you know, uh, uh, take them as prisoners of war, ex- execute them, whatever you want to do. And to that, Abu Sufyan said, are you sure? He said, no, that's what I heard. We'll see what happens. And he leaves. Then he goes to his own tribe. Now, he goes to his own tribe, Ghatafan, and he tells him, listen, there's a, obviously there's some drama going on now, like uh, Banu Quraida are not are regretting what they're doing. Uh, Abu Sufyan might just up and leave, and we're just in the middle. So I don't think we should take any part of this. So you see the game he's playing here. Very smartly, you know, very, you know, he's very calculated and he knows who he, you know, he's talking to. He knows his audience, basically. Then the next day, what happens is Banu Quraida actually send a messenger asking for collateral. Oh, Abu Sufyan is like, okay, now I see he was right. Nuaim was right. They are playing a game with us here now. They are about to betray us. So basically what Banu Quraida did is they affirmed what Nu'aim told Abu Sufyan. So Abu Sufyan said, you know what? Just let me think about it. Now he does not want to, you know, attack them or he doesn't want to, you know, have cause any issues at the moment. So he says, just let me think about it. So Nu'aim, when he finds out that this happened, he goes back to Banu Quraida and he tells him, listen, you guys sent a messenger. I, I'm, a, I'm friends with Abu Sufyan. And he told me that he's not planning on giving you even one single human being from the tribe of Quraysh. Not a single collateral you will be given. And he basically wants to have no collaterals with you. Because when if he decides to leave, he doesn't want to you know, have to worry about any uh, anyone left behind with you guys. So Banu Quraida started freaking out. Now they're like, we are in big trouble. They are about to abandon us. It's that simple. And they started regretting what they did. Of course, listen, think about it. Banu Quraida, and that shows you, my dear brothers and sisters, they lived a beautiful life with the Muslims. They were trading with the Muslims. You know, they had their uh, thing. Remember, every time, every single time, an issue happens with a Jewish tribe, the Prophet will go to the rest of the tribes and he would say, guys, you want to still honor the treaty? 
Yes, we're good. Okay. Then the second tribe, you know, fails to do so. He goes to Banu Quraida. You guys still want to honor the treaty? Yes, of course. Don't worry about it. And they had a peaceful life with the Muslims. Absolutely peaceful. Yes, they had difference in, in theology. So what? The Muslims never tried to force them to become Muslims. You know, they never tried to go to, to, to the Jews and be like, you have to become Muslims. They never tried to. That's That was the whole purpose of the treaty. That was the whole purpose of the constitution. You have your things, you have your laws, you have your, you know, beliefs. We have ours, but when, you know, we cannot betray each other and we have to always stick together when there's an external enemy. Not betray each other, not, you know, stab each other in the back. They had everything was easy for them. They had a peaceful life. But then they decided to, and it was out of arrogance. They hated the idea of Muslims. They wanted to be the chosen one. Right? They wanted to be, you know, and they were the chosen one by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's mentioned in the Quran. But because of what they did to the prophets and the messengers, they're not anymore. And they hated that idea. They did not want the Arabs, you know, quote unquote, the 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 the, the pagan Arabs to, you know, have a new religion. And they were already, you know, possessing uh, remnants of the true Judaism from Moses. So they they thought they had the right to be the chosen ones by the Prophet ﷺ instead of the Prophet ﷺ going to the Ansar, to the Arab tribe, the Aus and the Khadraj, right? They hated that idea. And that's why they rejected one of the reasons, and one of the main reasons, it was out of pride they rejected the Prophet ﷺ. But again, even though they did, they lived peacefully in Medina with the Muslims. But then, again, they decided to commit treason. So now they're realizing it. Oh man, what did we do? We lived a good life here. They admitted it to themselves. You know? So anyway, Abu Sufyan, now as a response to their request, he said, you know what? I don't like this. We will surprise attack the Muslims tomorrow morning and I need Banu Quraida to prove their allegiance to us. So he sends a messenger to Banu Quraida telling them tomorrow morning, we will attack the Muslims and you have to attack with us like we agreed at the same moment so we can end the Muslims once and for all. And look at Allah's miracle. Allah's subhanAllah. You cannot play tricks on Allah. No matter how smart you think you are, you can never, can never plot against Allah and his messenger. When Abu Sufyan decided to do this and he sent the messenger, it was a Friday. What does that mean? The next morning is what? A Saturday. What is a Saturday to the Jews? The Sabbath. Yep. They cannot attack. They cannot attack. They cannot go to war. So they told the messenger, no way this is going to happen. We cannot perform any you know, battles, any war. We cannot do any of this because tomorrow is the Sabbath. We can do it on Sunday. We can postpone it till Sunday, but even if we decide to fight with you on Sunday, you guys still have to give us that collateral. We're not going to go to war without this collateral, 70 of your elite uh, leaders. So the messenger went back to Abu Sufyan, and of course, Quraysh does not even know what is that Sabbath. What are they talking about? Are they playing games with us now? Because they, you know, regret their position? Mm, I don't like this. Abu Sufyan is like thinking now. I do not know what this Sabbath is. 
So Abu Sufyan calls who Huyay, the leader of Banu Nadir, who came to him with the idea of the war in the first place, remember? So he calls him and he says, what is the Sabbath? So actually Huyay confirms, yeah, it is a holy day. We are not allowed to you know, attack during the Sabbath. So even though Huyay explains to Abu Sufyan what is the Sabbath, Abu Sufyan has now big doubts about Banu Quraida and even Banu Nadir. He's like, they now are together. They're not to be trusted. And you know, Abu Sufyan is thinking, they betrayed their own people, the Muslims, because they lived in one city, under one, in, you know, inside of, you know, un, inside of one city. They're betra- they both betrayed. They tried to kill Muhammad, Banu Nadir, and Banu Quraida are literally trying to attack from within. So why would I even trust them? And that's, my dear brothers and sisters, this is a problem. And this is, subhanAllah, it shows you when you betray someone, why would you be trusted? Why would someone else trust you later on? Once you commit betrayal, it shows that you cannot be trusted. That's why we are not never allowed to betray anyone. And this is exactly what's happening. Now Abu Sufyan is like, those people betrayed their own, you know, citizens basically. You know, their own brothers in 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 in, in citizenship. They're under you know, there are technically they, they are one government. Yes, different factions, but one government. They betrayed their own people. People that they used to, you know, trade with and, you know, deal with on a daily basis. They betrayed them like that. Why would I trust them? Something is off. And because Abu Sufyan expressed that he doesn't trust them anymore, Huyay freaks out. Huyay, the leader of Banu Nadir, freaks out. So he goes, he sneaks into Medina. He goes straight to Banu Quraida. He knows, you know, Medina, of course, he lived all of his life. So he knows Medina. So he sneaks back into Medina, goes to the gates of, of Banu Nadir. They allow him in. And he basically asks them to break the Sabbath. He says, guys, listen, I understand it's a big deal for us. And by the way, Sabbath is one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's, it's actually a, a, a true thing. Even in Islam, we know about the Sabbath. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written upon the, the Jews to you know, have the Sabbath. Uh, it's one of the Ten Commandments, you know. So it is true. And the Sabbath is actually one of the most, um, you know, uh, performed uh, ritual and act of worship that the Jews are still abiding by. So Huyay is going to the leader of Banu Qarad and he tells him, listen, let's just break it. And of course, the leader of Banu Qarad says, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Of course we won't. Break it. Of course we won't break it. I don't trust you because now you're coming and tell us to, to do certain things. So, of course, Huyayi, to prove to uh, Banu Quraida that, you know, he's with them. He's on the same side. He said, you know what? I will stay here with you in the castle. So if things go wrong, I'm here with you. So you know that my loyalty is with you. We just need to attack. But again, the leader of, of, uh, of, of Banu Quraida refuses because it is the Sabbath. Meanwhile, our Prophet ﷺ kept making dua against you know, the people of Quraysh, against the people of Banu Nadir for you know, what they're doing. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started sending wind upon the people of Quraysh who are camped outside. And it was recorded that Friday night. That Friday night was the worst night in terms of weather. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent like a severe windstorm. 
that turned into, because they're in the desert, right? That turned into a sandstorm, a severe sandstorm that started basically destroying the camp. You know, literally making their tents just fly away. All their food, all the, 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 the fire that they had so they can see at night were all gone. It was all gone. One of Allah's armies is the wind. This is reported in many hadith. The wind, Allah uses the wind as a soldier. Subhanallah. And there are two types that we know of, of wind, of Allah's armies when it comes to the wind. The wind of Saba and the wind of Dabur. These names are mentioned in our books of, of, of Sirah and in the Quran. The wind of Saba, and there's a big difference between both of them. The wind of Saba is actually a merciful wind. Allah does not use this wind in terms of like, you know, to punish someone. And it actually, it's the wind that gathers the cloud to bring down the rain. So it is usually, you know, the wind of mercy. Bringing down the rain is a form of mercy, as we all know. And this is the trivia. Uh, when uh, the, the brothers of Yusuf, of, of Prophet Joseph, you know, put him in a well. And his father, Yaqub, uh, didn't know where he was. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the wind of Saba to carry the scent of Yusuf or Joseph to his father, Yaqub. Right? And it comes usually from the east. This is the wind of Saba. So mostly it's a merciful wind and Allah uses it, you know, to do merciful stuff. The wind of Dabur is the complete opposite. It's a very harsh wind. And it's simply the wind of punishment. And it was used against the people of Ad. There's a whole civilization and inshallah I'll, I'll dedicate a whole episode about the, the people of Ad and Thamud. These are two ancient civilizations that you technically hear nothing about except in the Quran. And there's like little remnants for, you know, of them here and there. But Allah destroyed these two nations completely. And the people of Ad were straight up destroyed by the wind of Dabur. This is mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Haqqa uh, verses number, I think, six, seven, and eight. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَمَّا عَادٍ فَأُهْلِكُوا بِرِيحٍ صَرْصَرٍ عَاتِيَةٍ سَخَّرَهَا عَلَيْهِمْ سَبْعَ لَيَالٍ وَثَمَانِيَةَ أَيَّامٍ حُسُومًا فَتَرَى الْقَوْمَ فِيهَا صَرْعَى كَأَنَّهُمْ أَعْجَازُ نَخْلٍ خَاوِيَةٍ فَهَلْ تَرَى لَهُمْ مِنْ بَاقِيَةٍ Let me explain really quick. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that the people of Ad, the, the nation of Ad, the, the civilization of Ad, were destroyed completely by a wind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent, which is the wind of Dabur. Allah basically uh, uh, sent that wind for seven nights and eight days, straight up, nonstop, destroying their houses. Their, because they straight up uh, challenged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll talk about their story later on. But they challenged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while they had a prophet amongst them. We talked about this. When Allah sends you a prophet and you completely disobey him and you challenge Allah, Allah sends punishment right at the moment. When this happens, Allah sends a punishment right away. And then Allah tells you, do you see any remnants of them? Those who don't know about the Quran, they don't know anything about the people of Ad. Who are the people of Ad? Right? And that was Allah's uh, punishment, subhanahu wa ta'ala, using the wind of Dabur. Now, back to uh, the story. 
So if Allah sends Dabur as a punishment, why did Allah send Saba? So Allah sent the wind of Saba against the people of Quraysh who were camped outside of the trench. We just said that the, the wind of Saba is a wind of mercy. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send the wind of Saba instead of sending the wind of Dabur? Allah wanted to punish them, right? Well, for two main reasons. Number one, Allah knows that there are sincere people among them. Allah knows that they there is people who, when they are exposed to the, in the right way to Islam, they will embrace Islam. And the second reason is because uh, uh, our Prophet ﷺ, he felt for them. They were his own kin and, and you know, families. And he, he wanted to invite them in Islam. He did not want to punish them. He did not want to kill them. That was the attitude of the Prophet ﷺ. It did happen in Ta'if, remember? When the angel came and he said, just command me and I will destroy the the, the 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 city of Ta'if between the two mountains, and what did the Prophet ﷺ say? No, don't do that. Rather, I would rather Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will extract from them the best of the believers. You know, so uh, that's why the wind destroyed the camps, destroyed the tents, but it didn't kill a single one of them. And by and large, the people of Quraysh, by and large, they embraced Islam later on. So Subhanallah, that's that tells you. Do not give up hope on disbelievers, on people who attack Islam now. There's always a chance. There's always hope for them to know the truth and to you know become Muslims. Now, our Prophet ﷺ wanted to send someone to uh, spy uh, 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 inside of the camp of Quraysh. So basically a little spy who would just go in and blend in with the people. You know, and figure out what's going on. What's the plan? Again, Allah is helping, clearly helping the Prophet ﷺ. But again, we said the Prophet ﷺ had to do the work. He can't just sit down and say, Allah will just fix it and we'll make it go away. It doesn't work that way. And the Prophet ﷺ knows that it doesn't work that way, right? Now, so he sends a companion by the name of Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. Famous companion. And Hudayfa basically, uh, he was from the Ansar, so he was not recognizable by the people of Quraysh. And also, it was nighttime, and Hudayfa was supposed to go to that camp and you know spy on the Quraysh. Hudayfa was very scared. Again, he's walking into enemy territory here, and he's not just looking at them from afar. He has to blend in. Remember, look at Allah's protection. Allah caused the wind to do what? To put down all the campfire that they had. So they can't see each other even. It's it's pitch black. The wind was still going on, but it was less severe. But they can't even, you know, put some fire and they can't see each other. Right? And that was one of Allah's miracles regarding, you know, to help out Hudayfa. And when the Prophet saw that Hudayfa was really scared, the Prophet made dua to Allah to remove that fear from his heart. And Hudayfa is the one telling us now in first person, that as soon as the Prophet ﷺ made that dua, Hudayfa was not scared anymore. And this is, again, it's clear. We shouldn't be surprised by now. Hudayfa right away felt like, oh, I'm going to do this. And he walked straight to the camp of Quraysh. But before he left, the Prophet ﷺ basically told him one thing. Do not expose yourself. Do not do anything to draw suspicion. Don't. Be very discreet. So Hudayfa went, made his way into, you know, the enemy's camp, the, the camp of Quraysh. And, you know, he was like looking around, trying to hear everything. And then he found himself standing right behind Abu Sufyan.
And Hudayfa tells us he was about to take his bow and arrow and, kill, and he wanted to kill the leader. If he kills Abu Sufyan, what happens? That the Quraysh will be, you know, they will tremble. They will be confused. They won't know what to do. He's their leader. But then he remember, and look at the difference here. When you listen and obey the instructions and the commands of the Prophet he remembered that the Prophet told him, be discreet and do not ever expose yourself. So he put down the bow and arrow and he keeps, you know, walking around. Now, Abu Sufyan was about to make an announcement. He was about to say something. But look how smart Abu Sufyan is because it was pitch black. He asked all the men who were camped there, verify the person next to you. They can't see each other. So I need to know that there's no spice. That's how smart Abu Sufyan was. We know that. So he said, everyone verify the person next to you. And subhanAllah, as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the idea to Hudayfa, right away when Abu Sufyan said this, he turns to the man next to him and he says, who are you? Right away. He's acting like, oh, I'm from Quraysh. Who are you now? So the man, you know, stutters, you know, like he, he's just like, you know, he, he doesn't know what to say. So he started telling, he was surprised by the attitude of, of Hudayfa. So he tells him, I'm from this and, and I'm from this house and I'm from the family of this. Then Hudayfa turns around to the other side. You know, every person has, you know, two sides, two people uh, on both sides. So he tells uh, the other man, hey, and where are you from? So the man also gets a little bit surprised by the attitude of Hudayfa. So he tells him, hey, I'm from this family and I'm, I'm, my name is this i'm from this family and in the process hudayfa never reveals who he was can you imagine subhanallah and this is like a, a psychological by the way uh, tactic that you basically attack better than you know you defend so when you attack someone they most likely you won't need to defend so that's exactly what he did. He attacked two people. Hey, where are you from? Hey, where are you from? And in the process, the people got so confused and they got, you know, a little bit, you know, distracted that they did they forgot. And of course, it's a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in the process, they forgot to ask Hudayfa, where are you from? And he just, you know, passed and it worked out for him very well. So Abu Sufyan now, everybody's verified, right? And so Abu Sufyan is about to announce something. So he started telling you know, people, listen, we are very far from home. We're here in Medina. We're camped. We can't even, you know, enter Medina because of the trench. And we've been surrounding the Muslims for too long. Like I said, it's been a month, around a month. And the wind is too strong. We can't even, like, stand straight. The wind just keeps on moving us, right? All their tents were just not standing anymore from because of the wind. And Banu Quraida obviously have betrayed us. They don't even want to fight with us and they want to, they feel regretful to the Muslims. So I don't like this situation right now. So look, subhanAllah, everything fell into place. The wind did its part. Nu'aim, when he put doubt into Abu Sufyan and into Banu Quraida, did his part. SubhanAllah, Allah always wins. Allah helps you if you do the work. Do not expect Allah's help when you don't want to do the work. Do the work. and Because think about it. What did the Muslims actually do? They, yeah, they built the trench, right? But who concluded this war? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The wind was one of his soldiers. You know, Nu'aym, there was Allah's plan. You know, even during many battles that took place by the trench, Allah sent angels. Actually, there were many reports 
that there were, again, men in white fighting, right? So basically, Abu Sufyan was telling people, I think we should go home. I, sh- I-, I think we should go home. There's so many issues going on with this battle. It's not working out for us. And we're hungry. You know, we're, we're away from home. The wind is not helping. So let's just leave and go back to Mecca. And everybody agreed with him. Nobody, you know, uh, objected. They all started getting on their horses, their camels and whatever. And they started heading back to Mecca. So Hudayfa, on his way back to the camp of the Prophet to tell them, you know, to tell him the, the good news, he meets... Men dressed in white and then their armors coming back. And basically the men said, don't worry, we did the fight for you. Hudayfa does not understand, but when he goes back and he tells the Prophet the Prophet basically confirms these were the angels. So the angels participated also in this battle, physically attacking when the many little mini you know uh, groups fighting each other by the trench. Because this happened, it was not just one time, it was a multiple times. And basically the angels were protecting the borders of the trench. So anyway, so Hudayfa goes to the Prophet and tells him the news. And uh, basically, of course, uh, he found the Prophet already. He was praying. So he waits until he finishes praying and he tells him what happens. And the Prophet, you know, says, Allahu Akbar. And all the Muslims, you know, they say, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater than anyone. And imagine this. Quraysh gained absolutely nothing from this war. And they had how many people? Remember? 10,000 men. And they had zero gains from this battle. Subhanallah. 10,000 men. And they gained nothing. So anyway, after the Confederates had left, our Prophet ﷺ went home and he was, you know, went back to his house and he was putting down his sword and he was about to take off his, uh, you know, armor and to take an afternoon nap. By the way, Taking an afternoon nap for those who, you know, don't work during that during, you know, afternoon is a sunnah to basically have power and to, you know, power nap, basically to, you know, regain strength, to be able to, you know, worship Allah for the rest of the day. And it's it's very befitting because the Prophet never slept after Fajr, after the dawn prayer. Many of us sleep after dawn prayer, of course, some, some for good reasons, for, you know, to go to work, to be able to, you know, have a good two-hour sleep before you go to work and all these things. But the Prophet because life was different and the type of labor that they were doing and work was different. So the Prophet never slept after Fajr, but he always took an afternoon nap to be able to continue. Because, again, if you don't sleep the whole day, it's not logical, you know, to keep, you know, preaching Islam and to keep working, even working as, you know, your job. So the Prophet you know, you always used to have an afternoon nap, which is a sunnah to be able to, you know, have his strength for the rest of the day so he can sleep early, wake up early for Fajr and all these things. So it's a sunnah, just to let you know. Now, he was about to take his afternoon nap and then Angel Jibreel comes to him and he tells him, did you put down your weapon? It was a rhetorical question because obviously he did. So the Prophet said, yes, I just did. So, Jibreel said, as for the angels, they have not put down their weapons yet. Oh, Muhammad, Allah is commanding you right now to go to Banu Quraida and deal with them. I'm heading there right now to shake the earth under their feet. War is not over, Prophet of Allah. The war is not over. Yes, the external enemy has been you know, they left, they went home. But the internal enemy is still there. War is not over. The battle of the trench is not over. So the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, 
let's go. You know, took put back, you know, he took uh, picked up his sword and uh, Ali was the first person to actually reach Banu Quraida. So he commanded the Muslims to head to the gates of Banu Quraida. Now let's go there. Right? This is a direct command from Allah. You have to deal with them. Meaning execution. This is execution. This is treason. They wanted to kill your women and your children and you alongside with the Quraysh. When the Quraysh were going to attack you. And that's the biggest quote-unquote controversy that they said, oh, your prophet with the Muslims, they executed a whole tribe. No, they executed the men of the tribe because that's how the execution used to work. And they take the rest as prisoners of war or they actually give them their freedom. That's exactly what happened. They hate the, they hate the Jews. That's, that's what the Islamophobes say. They're anti-Semitic. No. The punishment of treason in any country now, today, in this world, in 2021, is punishable by death. Nobody goes free when they commit an obvious and blatant treason. That's exactly what happened. They all participated. They all put on their arms to kill the Muslims and their wives and children. After the Prophet confirmed with them the treaty three times. The first time when it was made. The second time when Banu Qaynuqa betrayed them. The third time when Banu Nadir betrayed them. Three times. Hey, you guys, honoring the treaty? Yes, we are. Then they tried to kill the Muslims. This was an, a, and the Prophet was not going to expel them because obviously when he expelled Banu Nadir, what happened? There was retaliation. They went and they started scheming against the Muslims from the outside. And they caused this whole battle of the trench. It was because of Banu Nadir, the second tribe. So the Prophet said, and Allah, that was Allah's command. That's it. Execution. As their own laws. And we'll get to that. Like for those who claim that the Prophet was harsh and that was not supposed to happen. There's a surprise for you. And, and just wait until the end of the episode because this is incredible and mind-boggling, subhanAllah. We'll, we'll talk about this, but let's see how this actually unfolded. So, Ali, the cousin of the Prophet was the first to be, you know, uh, to reach Banu Quraid. He put down the Muslim flag in front of their gates. This is a statement now. You guys betrayed us. You tried to kill us. You almost succeeded when they attacked the Muslims and the children. You know, when the, the aunt of the Prophet was brave enough to, you know, hold them back and trick them and all these things. And when they saw the flag of the Muslims being put in front of their gates, they started showing their true colors. They started cursing him and cursing the Prophet you know, cursing him out, you know, with the most foul words ever. And then uh, on the way to Banu Quraida, the Prophet was still going there. So he asked, who was there beside Ali? No, he knows that Ali was the first to be there. And then the companions told him that they saw Dihya al-Kalbi riding on a white mule. For those of you who you know have been following the, the, the biography since we started this season, who is Dahi al-Kalbi? He's a famous companion, but what is he really famous of? Angel Jibril, when he takes the form of one of the companions, he always takes the form of Dahi al-Kalbi. He was the most handsome of the companions, of course, after the Prophet And that's why Jibril used to take his form. So when the companions see Dahi al-Kalbi, they don't know, is this Jibril or is this actually Dahi al-Kalbi? Because Dahi al-Kalbi was an actual companion. But they wouldn't know. They would be confused. And this was obviously Angel Jibril heading there, not flying, not doing anything, heading there to, again, give, give morale to the Muslims. And when he actually reached there with his, uh, you know, 
invisible to the Muslim's wing because you know the Muslims cannot see Angel Jibreel uh, on his true form. He literally caused an earthquake inside of the fortress of Banu Quraid. Like he said, he will. He said, I will shake the uh, ground underneath them, and that's exactly what happened. Now, they when the earthquake took place, when that you know shaking took place, they started you know having fear and anxiety, right? What's happening here, right? Our Prophet asked them to unconditionally surrender, but they refused. So the Muslims surrounded them for also an entire month. Inside the fortress, the leaders of Banu Quraida suggested one of three choices. Now they're talking to each other. Accept the religion of Islam. We know it's the truth, so let's accept it. You know, and they all or the majority of them disagreed out of arrogance. We talked about this. Okay, the second choice, let's kill our own families and go fight the Muslims and that way we have nothing to lose. If we're scared for our families, let's just kill them. Can you imagine? SubhanAllah, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable, unimaginable. Kill your own wife and children. That's what they said. And we'll just be angry and we'll go and fight the Muslims. But also the majority refused. They're like, this is insane. Okay. The third choice, surprise attack them on the Sabbath because they won't expect us to attack them on the Sabbath and that will give us an advantage. And the majority also refused because again, the Sabbath was always been a big deal to you know the Jews in, by and large. So they sent a messenger to demand to be treated like Banu Nadir, to be expelled out of Medina and giving all of their belongings, everything they owned. And to that, the Prophet ﷺ said, nope, unconditional surrender. They know what's about to happen. They know they were about to be executed. They, they committed treason on, again, they tried to kill every Muslim, man, woman, child. They know what's coming for them. They, that's why they were like, we had a beautiful, perfect life with the Muslims. We destroyed that relationship. We destroyed that life you know, with our own hands. So, they asked to talk to uh, someone from the Ansar by the name of Abu Lubaba. This is a very interesting story, by the way. Abu Lubaba used to be very close friends with them before Islam. Right? He used to be very close. Again, Jews and, 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 and Arabs used to be very close in, in, in Medina. And after Islam, they used to be very close until they decided to commit treason multiple times. So Abu Lubaba went inside the fortress and he was starting, you know, talk to them and they said, what do you think? He said, I think you guys should surrender. But then he motioned to them like, you will be executed no matter what. He kind of motioned to them, listen, if you want to surrender, surrender, but you will die. Abu Lubaba tells us that once he said that, he felt like he betrayed the Muslims himself. He betrayed Allah and his messenger himself. Now, he's not supposed to tell them, because technically he's telling them, do not surrender, you're going to die. He did it out of, you know, old friendship with them. He didn't do it to betray the Muslims, obviously, right? And he felt, but he felt like he betrayed Allah and his messenger and the, and the rest of the Muslims once he did this, you know? And he realized how horrible of a sin he committed. He's like, I committed a horrible sin. So he left the fortress without talking to anyone. 
Not even the Prophet. He just went walking like thinking, what am I going to do now? Then he went to the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, the Masjid of, Medi- of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. He literally tied himself in a pillar inside of the mosque, inside of the masjid. And he made a promise to Allah to never untie himself until Allah forgives him. He made something called a nadr with Allah. He made a promise to Allah. And you're not allowed to break a promise that you make to Allah. It's a major sin, by the way. This is in the Quran. وَيُوفُونَ بِالنَّذْرِ وَيَخَافُونَ يَوْمًا كَانَ شَرُّ مُسْتَطِيرًا This is in the Quran. And nadr, the, the concept of nadr, the concept of promising Allah with something, you cannot break that promise. So he tied himself into a pillar and he said, I'm not moving an inch until Allah forgives me, sends me a sign that he forgave me, tells the Prophet that he, something has to happen because I can't forgive myself. So, our, our Prophet was asking, where is Abu Lubaba? Where did he go? You know, he left the fortress of, of Banu Qurayda. Where did he go? So they told him he basically did that. He, he did. People knew his story. He probably told someone on his way or whatever, you know. And they saw that he tied himself into a pillar in the masjid. So they said, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So look at the response of the Prophet Wallahi, look at how beautiful of a leader he was. And merciful he was. He said what? If he came to me first, I would have asked Allah to forgive him. I would have made that repentance on his behalf. If he came to me first, remember he walked to the masjid without talking to anyone. I would have asked Allah to forgive him. But the problem is now he made a promise to Allah. I cannot get involved. Look at this. He made that nadr that we talked about, the promise. I cannot get involved. Allah now has to be the one dealing with him directly. Subhanallah. Now, uh, on a side note, let's just continue that little story of Abu Lubaba. For an entire week, Abu Lubaba was, uh, you know, tied to that pillar. Now, we don't know how was he eating, drinking, using the bathroom. We don't know that detail, but he was tied to that pillar. And then, on, like, after that week, during Fajr time, during the dawn prayer, the Prophet wakes up to perform, you know, to pray. And when he wakes up, he's so happy and laughing. And his wife, he was sleeping at his wife, Umm Salama. We talked about Umm Salama before. He was sleeping at her house. And when she saw him laughing so hard, she said, what happened? Oh, Prophet of Allah, what happened? What made you so happy? You know, like make me, I want to be happy like you. So tell me, share, you know, share what you have with me. So he said, Allah has accepted Abu Lubaba's repentance. Allah has revealed to me that he accepted the repentance of Abu Lubaba. And our Prophet went to the masjid and untied Abu Lubaba himself and told him that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted your repentance. So, you know, be happy, Abu Lubaba. This is a very interesting story. But let's go back to Banu Quraida. So now, Banu Quraida, they have no option but to surrender. That's it. They have no option but to surrender. So the people of Aus, remember we have two major tribes in Medina of the Ansar, the Aus and the Khazraj, right? The people of Aus used to be very, very close friends with them. So they felt bad for them. So they said, oh, oh, Prophet of Allah, can we just like forgive him? Now, they don't know that this was a direct command from Allah. That the person had to execute them, you know, take your sword and go deal with them. That meant execution. So 
They don't know that. The Prophet did not reveal that yet. And, and it will show you the wisdom of the Prophet You will see in a second. So they said, can we just forgive him? So instead of the Prophet says, no, this is decreed by Allah, he said what? You know what? Let your leader decide. How about if I, you guys assign your own leader, the leader of the house, to decide what happens to them? Would you be satisfied? So the house said, of course. Now, who was that leader? Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. The one who, when he died, the throne of Allah shook. Remember? In the first part of the battle, when he was uh, uh, shot by the arrow, and basically that, that technically is causing him to slowly die, to bleed to death, he made the dua to Allah. Oh Allah, if you will allow Quraysh to enter Medina, let me fight them. Let me stay alive until I fight them. And if you will cause them to flee, which is what happened, accept me as a martyr, but before I die as a martyr, let me witness what happens to Banu Quraysh. This is Allah's decree right now. Remember I told you Allah will accept his dua in the first part. This is what's happening right now. So the Aws got so happy. Okay, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh will decide. Now they got so happy because they know Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, like them, was close to Banu Quraidah. And that's remember, that's what made him so angry at them. He was so close, he, he, he thought he could trust them, right? The Prophet did not tell them no. And this was the wisdom. The Prophet left it. Allah's decree is coming. They will be executed. But the Prophet does not want to be this harsh leader who tells them no. He said, okay, Allah, the Prophet trusts in Allah's decree. So he said, let Sa'd ibn Mu'adh decide. You want, God, you want your leader to decide? And they were so happy. So they all went to the tent of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Now Sa'd ibn Mu'adh was, remember he was being treated from his wounds, his fatal wounds technically, in his own tent in the battlefield. So they went to bring him, to carry him, so he couldn't walk to carry him to the gates of Banu Quraida so he can basically uh, decide what happens to them. Now, while they were carrying Sa'd uh, back to you know the gates of Banu Quraida, the Aus, his friends, th- those who wanted you know forgiveness for Banu Quraida, they kept saying, so you know, you're gonna you're gonna choose mercy, right? You're gonna they're curious now. And then he said I'm about to die and meet Allah. Look at this. I'm about to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I should not care about any critic, whether it's you, whether it's them, whether it's the entire world, than Allah and his messenger. The only critic that I should care about is Allah and his messenger, and I should not care about anyone else. He's basically saying, I'm about to die. You want me to please you? You want me to please them? Nope, I'm only pleasing Allah and his messenger. This is the last action I'm going to do before I die. He knows he was about to die. And at this moment, the Aus, the people of Aus knew exactly what he was going to decide. They got the hint. They got it. And that situation right there, my dear brothers and sisters, should teach us something. We should not care about what people think if it contradicts Allah's commands. Especially when you're about to die. Do not care. In general, only do it, you know, extra more when you're about to die. But in general, don't ever care about people's criticism 
if it contradicts Allah's commands. That's why I said, I always say Allah comes first, then people. You know? Because when you're, like, think about it. Who are you going to benefit? Yourself? When you please people and you get Allah's anger, when you earn Allah's anger, who would you benefit? No one will protect you from Allah's anger. No one will protect you from Allah's displeasure. No one will be able to. The people you're trying to please won't help you. Not in this life, not in the hereafter. It's that simple. So anyway, when Sa'd arrived, he asked his people. Now, this is happening in front of everyone. Would you be content with my verdict? They all responded, of course, Sa'd. You are our leader. We trust your you know, judgment. Then he turned to the Prophet ﷺ, and while he's turning to the Prophet ﷺ, he lowered his face out of respect. He's about to ask the Prophet ﷺ the same thing. But he doesn't talk to the Prophet ﷺ like he's talking to the rest of his people. So when he looks at the Prophet ﷺ, he turns his face down. He lowers his face. And he asked him with the utmost respectful way, And you too, O Prophet of Allah, would you trust and accept my verdict? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Yes, I will, Sa'd. And again, look, wallahi, the best of mankind, the leader of all the nations, my dear brothers and sisters, Prophet Muhammad is the leader of all nations and he will be the leader of all nations on the day of judgment. He will be the first to be resurrected on the day of judgment. A man who answers to no one but Allah. And look at his humbleness. Look at his humbleness. He looks at Sa'd, who is one of the companions, one of the most righteous ones, of course. But he's no near or not even close to the rank and the status of the Prophet. And yet the Prophet tells him, Yes, I will accept your verdict. As he's one of the people, not the leader. SubhanAllah. It shows you the character of our Prophet. You know? So when Sa'd gets the green light from his people and the Prophet ﷺ, he says, my verdict is their men should be executed and their women and children should be prisoners of war. And to that, our Prophet ﷺ reveals that that was Allah's decree when he sent Jibreel to him. The execution took place for their treason, for what they did not for who they were. You have to understand. Again, we talked about this in the, in, in the previous episode like long enough. Their leader, before, before he was executed, here's the thing. He said that if it wasn't for what his tribe would say about him, he would have converted to Islam right before the execution so he wouldn't die. And it shows, again, it's all a matter of pride and arrogance. He said, if my people wouldn't talk bad about me, I would have converted to Islam right now so you guys won't kill me. But it's, of course, this is, a, this is it's all about intention. Allah did not make him convert. Why? He did not have the right intentions. Allah knows the hearts. His heart was not into it. They were, like I said, they were warned three times and they didn't care. And it shows that some strictness is necessary when people don't get the message. Some valid strictness, of course, was is necessary when people don't get the message. 
Here is the part. Remember, I told you there will be a surprise for you guys, for those who are claiming that Muslims were harsh, that the Prophet was harsh. Remember, I told you I'm going to tell you something that will boggle your mind. And this is it. Here is a very interesting fact. They were treated. Banu Quraida, the last Jewish tribe in Medina, they were treated based on their own laws. This was their own law word for word. The Old Testament in Deuteronomy 20 verse 10 to 14. Look it up. Look up what this what these verses say. Again, Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 20 verses 10 to 14. I'll read I'll read the verses uh, I'll read them uh, I'll read them to you guys. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subjected or subject to forced labor and shall work for you. Well, ironically, if this is this is the version of peace, right? And if they refuse to make peace, and they engage you in battle. This is exactly what happened to Banu Quraida. They betrayed the Muslims. That was The peace treaty was out of the window. Lay siege to the city. And when the Lord, your God, delivers it into your hand, put the sword to all the men in it. As for the women and children, the livestock and everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves. And you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. Again, my dear brothers and sisters, look it up. Deuteronomy 20 verses 10 to 14. This was their own laws. And Allah treated them based on their own laws. Subhanallah. So that concludes the battle of the trench and that concludes this whole, again, controversy with how the Muslims dealt with the Jews of Medina. Now, I hope it's very clear, very logical, very clear. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.